0: that'll work that's better whoo yes lord i'm listening <laughs> That like that light is piercing up here anyway it's uh, awesome to uh what a great time of worship this morning amen let's just thank the lord again for that it's uh great to be in the house of god we're gonna be starting this new series in just a minute uh called god at work which is very exciting because um we're gonna find out some interesting things about what God's heart and plan is for work. But I wanted to take a minute just to welcome a couple of people, uh, Lauren and Tina and, and uh, Jack and Donna. Why don't you guys stand up for a quick second? I want you to see who these people are because they're amazing servants of the Lord. And um, thank you guys. So uh, Lauren and, and Jack were on the leadership team in Fort McMurray when, when Betty and I were there and I think Lauren is still on that team now and Jack is on a, the administration or leadership team in a Calgary that was pl- a church, cal- church plant from, in Calgary from that McMurray Gospel Assembly. So give him a hand. These are servants of the Lord who are awesome and uh, Jack was my banker in Fort McMurray and he lent me money which was really good and I love him for it. Our first house, we couldn't afford to build and Jack uh, worked the, the bank numbers and uh, got us in so that we could do that, which is incredible for bankers to do that, isn't it? So go to Jack if you need money. No, no, no. He's, uh, he's, not, long, he's not in banking anymore, but uh, we're just so grateful that you guys are visiting us today and Mournville is a wonderful place to retire. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, amen. God's plan for work You know, uh, one of the things about being in church, you guys, is um, we come on Sunday and we experience the presence of God, the power of God. God touches us here. We gather together. There's something that happens as we connect with one another, as we are gathered in God's presence with one another. You know, there's a power in the presence not only of God, but in God's people. And so that's one of the reasons we're connecting and coming to church. But, But really what we need to understand is that actually God wants to equip you and I on Sunday to live Monday to, to Saturday. <laughs> took me a while to figure out the dates there for a minute. I was switching between Greek calendar. No, I wasn't. I just totally forgot for a minute. Um, you understand? Really what you're being enabled to do here, what you're doing is you're being equipped by God in order to live throughout the week. And uh, so I thought about it for a while, and I, I did a little bit of research, just kind of wanted to look at your life in numbers. Your life in numbers. These are actually, uh, I I pulled this all off, data off the internet. I checked them all out with my math abilities. So it's uh, it's, uh, not really a large math ability, but they're accurate. So if you live to 79 years old, that's 28,835 days of time. How is that time spent? So here's the first part. You are in bed for 33 years. 12,045 days you live in bed. This is really su- super interesting. 26 years you're sleeping, and seven years you're trying to fall asleep. <laughs> Isn't that unbelievable? Wow. So here's the second one screen time. Uh, screen time is you're spending 11 years and four months, or 4,127 days in front of a screen. I'm so busy, Pastor, I don't have time to serve. (laughs) Careful, little tongue. Here we go. Okay, eating. Four years and six months you spend eating. (laughs) Yes, Lord. 1583 days combined, 24-hour periods in eating, which is pretty exciting. Uh, It's why Jesus actually spent a lot of time, if you read the Gospels, he's eating a lot. Well, it makes sense now. For holidays, you all get three years and one month and three weeks, or 1,146 days. So stop complaining about your holidays. You really get a lot of them when you compile it into your whole life. Exercise is only one year and four months. (laughs) 460 days, there you go. School. This was shocking for me, but I checked the math and I actually phoned our principal. I don't know if Pam's here and asked her to check this for me. Here it is. In school, if you only do like K-12, you spend one year and seven months in post-secondary, without post-secondary. So that's 490 days. Pam said there's 980 hours per school year, including lunch and breaks. So you're actually, you know, that's a lot of time in school, but less than I thought there would be. This is the best one of all of them. You ready for this one? getting ready. How much time do you spend getting ready? So here's the breakout. Women, Come on. Come on. 136 days of your time, <laughs> <laughs> per, not per year, not per year. I'm available, or Nomara is available for counseling afterwards, <laughs> so it's good. Uh, Women are 136 days, and we say, thank you, women. You look amazing. Men are only 46 days, a third, a third of what women take. Uh, That's why I shave my head and do all these wonderful things. It's just to get up and go, here we go. Romance, socializing, laughing. They had all kinds of statistics, and I I just put that with several more years there. But uh, here's the one that was shocking. The second highest place that you spend the most time in your 79 years of life if you live that long is at a place called work 13.2 years of your life or 4821 days are spent working that's almost 25% of your life a little bit below that that's if you're 18 if you work from the time you're 18 to 65 and you retire and then you live to 79 but the reality is, is that most people actually spend 90 1000 hours at work in their lifetime. 90,000 hours. That's incredible. So that's actually bumps it to closer to 33%. So at minimum you're working 24%, at the li- highest end you're working 33% of your life. How many of you know we need to pay attention to what God says about work? It's a huge part of your life and my life. And so that's what we're going to talk about at God at work. And here's our kind of theme scripture. A little bit colossians 3 23 whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the lord and not for human masters what does god want us to do what does god have to say about work and so we're going to talk about god's plan for work over this series between now and christmas we're going to be working on this really today i'm going to just kind of give you a little bit of an overview and really what's god's plan for work in other words why do you want to work and you're saying, well, I really don't want to. But you may change your mind. That is, you know, you need to work. You actually need to work to live a fulfilled life according to the scriptures. We'll get there in a minute. What's the problem with, with work? That'll be another section we talk about. Because uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes do you have problems at work. You know, I think because of the fallen nature, because of the things in this world, our broken world, you know, uh, the, the real question you're answering and we're going to answer here is, why is it so hard to work? You know, why does it often feel fruitless or pointless, and why is it so difficult? And then we're going to kind of end the series by talking really about how Jesus redeems work. What Jesus does to give us a new purpose and a new understanding in our work. And so that's the series over the next probably eight to ten weeks that we're going to be spending on God at work. There's a great book uh, I'm going to recommend to you, and you can pick it up uh, probably on Amazon. We're going to try and have a few copies here if you want. But Timothy Keller wrote a book called Every Good Endeavor. It's kind of being a little bit of a blueprint for us in, uh, in this series. There's other books that we have, but I'll talk about those on a, at a future date. Well, let's pray before we jump in today and talk about really kind of the foundational thoughts as to where we're going in this series and ask for God's help as we go forward. So, Father, we need you. We love you. We're thankful for you. God, you're so good. God, I just pray that uh, we begin to have a shift in our attitude and thinking when it comes to this thing called work. So, God, bless us, I pray. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive and respond to you because you are good. We say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's the first thought. It's uh, pretty simple. God has created us to work. He's actually created us to work. Why? Because he is a worker. Listen to this scripture, Genesis chapter two. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed all in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So God, you know, God saw, he came, he created, he, he rested, and this is kind of a, something that you're going to understand as we go through this series, is uh, God really has this plan of work and rest, that they're, they're simultaneous within the kingdom of God, that we're learning how to, you know, we work hard because we also learn how to rest hard and to, and to really enjoy that part of our lives. How many of you know you are de- desperately, hopelessly help, helpless without God? Even as we were singing that song, unless you come, Lord, I, I, you know, I can, meet me here again. I'm hooped, right? I mean, think about how ridiculous it is that you have to spend 33 years sleeping because you're so pathetic that without the power of God restoring your life, you can't even function. Let's be a little bit humble, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know, we need so many things. We are so dependent upon God. So we see in creation that God is a worker. We see it in the life of Jesus. Jesus is a worker. Listen to how he he defends himself. He says something. In his defense, Jesus says to him, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. You know, we see this in the heart of God, that God came and he came uh, into this world as as a creator and he worked. Jesus came to redeem this world, to restore us back to God's purposes in all of our life, including the thing called work. You see, God is a worker. God completed his work. God rested from his work. God's work came directly from what he was doing or creating. God delights in the fruit of his labor. He said it is good, it is good, it is good. He even said it "It was very good when he created you and I. God enjoyed his work and he enjoyed his rest. Listen, this is awesome. Mankind was created in the image of God. We are image bearers. We are created for work. What? This is blowing my mind. Stop now. I've been looking forward to retirement. You're ruining it for me. Here we go. (laughs) Genesis chapter 2. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work at it and to take care of it. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground of all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to man to see what he would name them. And whenever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. Think about the significance that God creates us. He creates us to subdue the world, to have dominion over things, and to set things in order, and to keep them in order. And it's interesting when you study that in the original language, you start to learn it actually means for the good of mankind and for the glory of God. That you're created to work is one of the great things you're created to do for the glory of God, and for the good of others. That's an incredible job description, our purpose. No matter what you do, you think about every aspect of your life, and we're going to talk about this as we go forward. You know, everything in our life really, you know, in a sense, wants to be created for good. So you think about things like, um, if you're a garbage man, thank God for you. Because if you did not exist... It would not be good. Let's move on. Okay, we're gonna get back there in a minute. So we have this dominion. We, you know, we're called. We're called to do this. But you know, I think that mankind. And I, I've done this little thought before. It's kind of fun, though. Uh, you know, think about man's first job description. God created by speaking things into existence. So what does he do? He makes all the animals, but he doesn't name them. He actually gives mankind the power to name these animals what a cool beginning God is saying I'm trying to get you to understand your creative purpose I'm trying to get you to understand the power that you have even in your words and so he says start to name them so you know what an exciting thing for mankind so man starts and he starts naming animals think about it like hippopotamus and God's like that's awesome Adam I never would have thought of that hippopotamus. Like, I mean, he's so excited. You know, rhinoceros, yeah! That's God, right alongside of Adam, just, you know, clap. elephant, woo, good to go, buddy. You know, but then it gets to be a long journey. So he starts shortening the names. Cow, pig, dog. How many more animals we got here? Then, he, then he's so exhausted, I think, that he, he can't figure it out, and he's like, he just starts naming them by what they do you know he's like fly <laughs> i don't i don't know ant eater <laughs> so before a fish became swim god said i've got to fix some things and he said go to sleep i'm going to create a woman to help you <laughs> come on ladies There it is. (laughs) He needed needed man, needed woman. There you go. So I love this. Man discovers his primary purpose for existence. Check this out. Not only to walk in relationship with his creator, but also to work alongside his creator. Isn't that mind-blowing? You know, I have a book in my library called Christ, you know, basically in 10,000 places is what the book's called. And what it's talking about is that God shows up through your eyes, through your voice, through your hands, through your feet. That's the idea of coming into relationship with God is that he gets expressed in whatever you do and work. Christ is expressed through you. So Jesus Christ is being manifest in all of your lives in multiple ways, including this thing called work. That sounds pretty good. So what went wrong? What's gone wrong as we talk about this? Here's the second thought I want to bring up today is that we have a broken concept of work. We really do. This thing called sin, you know, we become so self-centered even in our thoughts about work, what's good for me, you know, like I talk to employers all the time and, and, and you know, it, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking sometimes how people, you know, come at their bosses and attack their bosses and attack their companies not realizing that those companies exist to give them a job. To have a better attitude about work even as a worker but sin that curved inwardness that we talk about is really in every single one of us and so it's it's warped our concept of work here's the first warping that i think we've seen is we see work as a necessary evil right we see work as a necessary evil but the truth is this and this is shocking ready for this work was part of paradise It was part of paradise before the fall of mankind, there was work. Blow your mind. Wow. I love this quote. Let me read it to you from Tim uh, Tim Keller. It says, work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. It is not simply medicine, but food for our souls. Without meaningful work, we sense significant inner loss and emptiness. People who are cut off from work because of physical or other reasons quickly discover how much they need work to thrive emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Amazing. You know, my dad's story is interesting. My dad uh, loved to work. He loved to work. He uh, was the oldest boy in his family, and he grew up on a farm, and uh, his dad died when he was 14, so he had to quit school And he had to go to work he had to go to work to to raise his brothers and sisters he had to go to work for his his mother's sake that's what he had to do but you know my dad with little or no education really was a brilliant man and he became a foreman at uh, one of the companies and and in fabrication and engineering and he could calculate massive math issues in his head and and design things for uh, that engineers would be like how did you think of that how did you come up with that but that's just the gift that god had given him he had that great ability you know and right up through his life my dad just wanted to keep working and uh, he had sickness issues he dealt with cancer several times and i remember you know we found out that he couldn't walk for a while a season and uh, his legs were completely blocked the blood was not flowing to his legs, but the doctors were astounded because they said this, the, the, the minor blood vessels have actually formed around the major ones and brought blood down to your legs. So he started to walk again. Guess what he did? He Went right back to work. That's what he did. And right up till he was 76 is when he passed away, right, 76? Right up to the week before he passed away, he was at work. And uh, when he went into the hospital that last time, he said to his brother, you know, I don't think I'm getting out of here this time. And within a week, he was gone. You see, he lived and loved work. It, it really sustained his life. It was incredible. He lived for work. I love this quote again. It says, when we think I hate work, we should remember that despite the fact that work can be a particularly potent reminder, even an amplifier of the curse of sin, it is not itself a curse. We were built to work and we need work. Wow. Work is not a necessary evil church. It's a beautiful partnership with the God in expressing His creativity, His beauty, his care, his compassion, supplying services to others and living in fulfillment in our own lives. Wow, what an attitude shift about work. You know, even if you're retired, I, I want to challenge you that you're not done. You're not done. Now is the time to serve the world in better ways, in bigger ways. Rest, yes but don't forget to work, right? I admire people like uh, Richard Hemshoot uh, on our board just resigned, uh, retired, sorry, and uh, he's busier now than ever at being at work. It's awesome. We say like, Richard, can you do this? Richard, can you do that? Lorraine Demers, I don't know if Lorraine's here. She's amazing, right? Lorraine's been retired and back and just serving, serving, serving and doing so many incredible things. We're so thankful for people like her. Thankful, You see, Namara, who's a, a clinical psychologist, says, you know, I may not be able to work in Canada, but I can surely serve. Because she sees and knows the value of, of, of employing herself into the ministry and work of God. And so I commend her and I thank her, and she's amazing. Amen? So, you know, when Pastor Peter's saying in the, in the counseling forums, when you fill those things out, and it suggests that you, you know, maybe give her something to help her, we can't pay her. We can't, but you can help if she's helping you. Amen? Yes, amen, Pastor. Thank you. Let me just preach it, Pastor. Woo! Yeah. Okay, good. Amen. There we go. Sorry. It just comes out of me sometimes. Okay, so God is good. Amen? And and keep working. You know what? Listen to me now very carefully, very, very carefully. Here's the challenge of retiring and thinking you're done with life. If you don't uh, serve somewhere, you can begin to curve inward. See, that's what sin is. Sin, remember we've talked about this, incurvitus and in say, It's when we bend inward. And what happens when we, we disconnect from our purpose in life, and one of our purposes is work. When we disconnect, we begin to bend inward. And what happens, you can become bitter and cynical. <laughs> and don't do that. There's so many places where you can serve in your life, and uh, we just want to encourage you to do that. So that first thought, you know, just understand work is not a necessary evil. Here's the second thought. We believe that lower status or lower paying work is an assault on our dignity. No, it's not. You know what? You don't define yourself and you don't, uh, by your title and your position. Listen, that's not who you are. You're a child of God. You're created in the image of God. You're, You're an image bearer, no matter what work you are doing. God is with you. You see, all work is dignified. And over the years, you know, the ancient Greeks used to believe that, uh, you know, the, the concerning yourself with human matters was really the work of the lower people. But if you were an upper echelon person, you just, you know, you wanted to think and, and rationalize and talk politics and life. That was really what life was all about. And that's how they saw the gods. Gods weren't really concerned with the menial manners, uh, you know, menial things that were going on in this world. But you know what the Christian God says to that? Hogwash. (laughs) That's a load of bunk, actually. You're created to, to do that work, no matter what that work is. And that's not employment, maybe necessarily, but it is serving somewhere. It is using your gifts, amen? You know, you think about how God came to the world. What would He be like to the Greeks? He came as this philosopher. You know, to the Romans, He would come as a statesman or a warrior. But you know, who did He come in? in, in the, what form did He take when He came to mankind? Well, He started off as a gardener. He was a gardener. He created its beauty out of chaos and, and order out of you know precision out of you know out of nothing. That's how He came. How did he come as his son a few thousand years later? A carpenter. (laughs) These are ordinary positions and places in our world today. This is how God displays his glory to this world. Amazing. Very good. So think about your life as a musician, as a waitress, as a seamstress, as a librarian, as a mechanic, as a pastor. You are there to display the glory of God to this world no matter what you're doing. You are valuable no matter what your profession is. You know, it's incredible when you think about people like Namara, and I'm going to pick on her again. You know, you walk around sometimes and you see a guy cleaning uh, toilets in an airport bathroom, and he's from a foreign country. And you have to think, oh, there he is cleaning toilets. And you have an attitude about him. The guy could be an engineer. He could be a doctor. God is good. No matter what you're doing, do it for the glory of God. Amen? You know, it's interesting. This also changes things about this word called secular and sacred. You know, there's no such thing in God's vocabulary as secular and sacred. It's all sacred. Every job is sacred, and because you're created in the image of God. You're an image bearer, <laughs> Amen. And so I remember once when I was uh, when I first started ministry, I was on prayer one morning, and one of the el- elders of our church had come forward and he was weeping at the altar. And so I, I was just praying with him. I said, you know, what's wrong? And he said, you know, I I just feel like I've wasted my whole life. I'm like what? He's like, I, I really felt a call to ministry when I was a young man, and I never, I never obeyed that call. And, uh, you know, here I am at the end of my life, and, and what have I done? And I'm like, what? This guy was like an amazing servant in our church. He was a very successful business person. He had sponsored people in missions, had supported the church for years. And, and you know what the problem was here? He grew up at a time when you were taught that if you really loved God, you would serve him as a pastor or a missionary. Really, If you're really serious about your life with God, this is the only way to serve God. It was a lie. It was a lie. You see, there's, every calling of God is sacred. Amen? And so understand that. This is God's heart. So I was just able to encourage him in that moment. You know, whatever job you do, you do it because God is with you. And it's got value, intrinsic value, because you're representing God and his kingdom in this world, in your workplace. Here's the third thought. We forget we bring the calling of God into us no matter what job we do. My wife and I met with somebody the other week and we're counseling them about something in their life. And I kind of got frustrated at a point, and I just said, listen, wherever you go, you bring God with you. Just go and do and be. You're awesome. You're incredible. Who you are will come out. You know, I was thinking about the song. We were praying about this. uh, Morning prayer is so awesome. God speaks to us as leaders so often in morning prayer, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Tuesday night, if you're not part of a care group meeting, you can come Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, For prayer and uh, Pastor Rick said embrace the place you're at and it won't make sense out of the context but it just struck me Wow embrace the place that you're at you know and I thought about that when it comes to uh, to your job and I you know that song love the one you're with that just started going through my head so I looked it up and it doesn't make any sense the lyrics but here they go (laughs) and there's there's a rose in a fisted glove and an eagle flies with the dove okay man And if you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with. Woo! Love the one. And I thought about that for your job. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Love the one you're with. While you're waiting for God to unfold some other grand plan that you think that you need to be connected to, love the one you're with. Love the one you're with, it's good. You see, your DNA, your God-wired DNA will come out of you, whatever job you do. Love the job you're with because God is with there, with you there. Amen? Amen, so love the one you're with, church. You know, the Latin word, this is so cool, the Latin word vocare, it means to call, to call. And it's the root word of our word, vocation. You are called into whatever you are doing. It doesn't matter what you are doing. You are called by God to represent him there, which is awesome. No matter what it is, if you're a plumber, if you're an electrician, if you're a mechanic, if you're a teacher, if you're a doctor, you are called by God, represent him in that place. You know, I love watching the people in our church and, uh, and I could sp- speak this over so many of you. Everybody really, if I spent any time with you at all, I would see these things. And you know, you are uniquely who you are and you're created to do what you're created to do, that God DNA within you will rise up, whether you realize it or not, it just comes out. It comes out of who you are. And I always love that when God shows me that kind of thing. So I was thinking about people like, and I don't think he's here right now, but John Booker's an example to me. Uh, no matter what John does, he's a servant. It just comes out of him, Do right? you understand what I'm saying? Mrs. Agri, she is a pastor all the time. It doesn't matter where she is. She's just loving people, encouraging people. It comes out of her all the time. She keeps serving that way. I think about uh, Pastor Liz, who's not here, who runs Higher Grounds. Uh, You know, Liz is like water that seeks the lowest point. She's unbelievable. She just loves to jump into people's chaos and disorder. I'm like, you're crazy, Liz. Okay. It's just who she is. It intrinsically, I, I, I try to bend her all the time, like, Liz, take care of yourself. got to go here. It's just who she is. It comes out of her. I think of peop- uh, people like my friend Todd, and, uh, and uh, who's here right now, but I won't mention him, Todd Lane. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know, Todd is an interesting guy to me. He's, uh, actually, I think he's doing some sales right now, so he's not here. I don't know if he's here, but um, whatever Todd does, it prospers. It just comes out of him. He takes over a company, it goes from almost going under to being the top in Canada. Like within, within a couple, it just, it, all the time, Todd's nature comes out. Do you understand? His God-wired DNA starts to come out of him and he builds that way. I think of my friend Jason, he's the consummate entrepreneur. Constant. He, it doesn't matter where he is since I've known him. This guy was in my young adults group 25 years ago. And he lived the same way then as he does now. He would always see opportunity in things and I'll make this work and it doesn't matter if I've to spend everything. One day it's going to come forward and I, I just believe this is one of the guys I know one day will be a millionaire because that's who he is. It intrinsically comes out of him. It's hardwired into his DNA by God. Isn't that awesome? I think of my wife, Betty. It doesn't matter what my wife does. She loves people. It, it's just, it's hardwired into her DNA. She is kind. She is amazing. I, I blew it this morning, so I need to say some nice things. No, I'm just kidding. She really is awesome. And I, really, I could go through this in every single one. of My brother Doug is unbelievable when it comes to running his companies. The gift of wisdom that comes off of him in our leadership, it comes out of him automatically. Do you understand? It intrinsically comes off of his life. That is true of every single one of you. I could go through every person here today and have that conversation with you. It's actually speaking to you. It's telling you something about the God DNA within you. So pay attention to those flickers of DNA. Amen. They reflect the kingdom of God in whatever you are doing. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Express the kingdom of God in your work, in your family, in your neighborhood, at your church, Pay attention to those things. You see, if change is coming, listen to me here. You know, a lot of you, like, I got to change. I got to change. I got to change. I need a change. Mm, just hold on. Just let God come out of you. And if change is coming, God will bring that too. Amen? So don't be so stressed out about trying to find your identity in your work. I need a better job. I need better. Just breathe. <laughs> Understand God is there with you in whatever job you're doing. Here's the fourth thing. We believe that if we were in the right job, our job should give us ultimate fulfillment. You know, we often reflect that if I hate my job, sometimes a, I must be misplaced, or it's the confusion of the fallen nature that's taking over that twists work. Maybe we're trying to find something that never ultimately will be fulfilled by work. Let's just talk about that for a minute. There's a story uh, about J.R. Tolkien. J.R.R. Tolkien, who knows who that is? How, how many have ever read The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit? The movies were better, sorry. I'm, I, I, love, I love books, but the movies were better. I, I'm not going to lie. I've read the books. They're good, but the movies were better. And you can't say that very often. But I, I want to tell you a little story about J.R.R. Tolkien that's very interesting. He was a contemporary with C.S. Lewis. He actually he knew C.S. Lewis very well. They hung out a lot. But Jared Tolkien, he was, uh, he had his doctorate, his, he, was, he was one of the foremost uh, people when it came to uh, re- ancient languages, particularly in Britain and in, in the west in the northern hemisphere of uh, that whole London, uh, or sorry, Europe and European area. So that was his, what he taught at university. And so what he began to realize is that what was being lost in the English language was some of its mythology. He, under, he started to understand that, that people were losing the, the mythology, the stories from our past that dealt with like giants and elves and warlocks and wizards and, and uh, dragons. And he thought, we're losing this. And he studied like the Greek culture and civilization and they retained that over such a long period of time. Why were we losing in England? So he set out in his mind, I need to do something about this. I want to write a, a book that basically captures this mythology and preserves it. But what ended up happening, because he was such a brilliant thinker, every time he would think down to the next level, he would create something else. And he's writing and writing and writing and writing for years and years. So he was creating cultures. Listen to this. He actually started creating languages. He created languages to represent those cultures of elves, to represent the cultures of of dwarfs, to represent the cultures of fairies. And then he had to create history. He actually had to create a a narrative of history going back thousands of years as to how we've arrived at this place in the story. And every time he created something, it just became this massive work. Are you following me? And he began to be discouraged. He was about 50, 52 years old. He began to think, I'm never going to finish my work. The Second World War hit and England, of course, was plunged into the fury of that war. And he really became forlorn and like, oh, my gosh, the vision I've had of this, of this creating this, this book, this work that captures the thoughts and imaginations is going to be lost forever. And then one day he had a dream. And he woke up and he wrote it down. And he actually wrote a story, a short story, which he published in uh, the Dublin Review. It was called Leaf by Niggle. Leaf by Niggle. And so it's interesting, the word niggle in the the old uh, English means to work in a fiddling or ineffective way to spend time unnecessarily on petty details. So the guy's name, the character's name is Niggle. And Niggle has a vision of a tree, this beautiful tree, and he's trying to paint it. He's a painter. And every time he sets brush to canvas, all he can do is focus on one leaf because the leaf has captured him, and he's trying to get that brilliantly created so that he can create the rest of the tree. And he spends his life painting the leaf. And and he gets interrupted all the time by people because he has a good heart, and so he'd go and serve people and help people. So he'd get away from his work, and then he'd come back to his work, and he'd repaint the leaf. Are you following me? And then finally, you know, in Old English, they talk about taking the long journey. The long journey in Old English referred to death. He knew that his long journey was coming soon, but he was so frustrated because all he could get done was this leaf. And every time he'd go back, he'd see the imperfections of the leaf, and he'd try to paint it again. The day came when the long journey happened for him, and he passed away, and they were cleaning out his house, and they found this one painting. It was beautiful. And so they took the painting and they put it in the museum and they called it Leaf by Nigel. And over the years, people would notice the leaf, how beautifully it was painted, but you know, it was kind of this one leaf. What's the big deal? And so he was quickly being forgotten. But what was interesting is when Nigel was going on the long journey in his spirit, in the story, it tells about the train ride on the long journey and he's coming up to his final destination, his heavenly destination. And as he's rounding the corner, he begins to hear a voice saying, Nigel, your life was a wasted failure. All these things that you did, they were for nothing. And it was kind of a a condemning voice. But in the midst of it, there was another voice that was speaking and saying, no, Nigel, your life was not a failure. You helped so many people. You did so many things well. And, And so he was encouraged by that second voice. But what happened next was incredible because as the Ben came around the corner before the last turn into eternity, he saw the tree that he was trying to paint his whole life. And there it was. In full bloom. All the leaves. And he could see the detail and he could see the color and he could see the vibrancy. And it was blowing in the wind as if it was worshiping God. It was incredible. And he realized that even though on earth he might be forgotten in eternity what he had set his heart out to do, that vision from God that came to him from God was going to be fully realized one day in eternity. You know, guys, listen, our work is not going to fulfill everything we need in this life. It's not going to be where we find our identity. Amen? We've got to always connect our purpose back to God. That's the heart of God. That's what God wants us to do. Tori, I want you to come on the keys again. When I was working in Fort McMurray as a pastor, I uh, was at an FCA conference in Red Deer, Alberta. And I felt the burden of the Lord. You ever have those moments where you just feel the burden of God and you got to go away and pray? That happened to me. I was at, at the conference and I just went into my rental car and I just sat there, and I was like, Lord, like, what are you downloading? What's going on here? And God began to give me a vision of the Father's house. He began to give me a vision of church. And I saw myself going through all these rooms in this house and every room represented something else. There was the kitchen and that would produce this nutritious food. And there was the living room, the gathering place. And there was the bedroom for intimacy. Everything represented, I'm writing this down furiously as I'm sitting in my car at an FCA conference. And I get a vision from God about the Father's house and, and God lays in my heart that we're gonna, t- I'm gonna turn over broken churches to you. Churches that, you don't, you're not gonna go and plant churches, but God, I'm gonna turn over churches to you that are nearly dead and you're gonna take them back and revive them and bring them forward. And I'm writing this down. And I'm like, wow, 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 wow. And here we are, you know, some 20 years later from that vision, 25 years almost and we're just beginning to see what God saw. See, God wanted us to take churches that were struggling and, and take them and help them and grow them and see them prosper. You know, we've seen that in Bon Accord now. We started with six and now there's well over 100 people in our Bon Accord site. Isn't that awesome? We're starting a youth ministry there. Like God is doing great things in Rochester. Incredible what Candace is doing. It's our mega church. Right? There's 60 people in a community of 700. She's got like 8% of the community attending her church. That's massive, you guys. And Higher Grounds was about to close this door and God said, go in there and take that on. That's not me, you guys. That's not me at all. It's all of you together with me. But do you understand? I saw this for hundreds of churches, hundreds. Now, I, I may not live to see that. I may not, but God sees it. And you're gonna help carry that on, amen? Why do we have interns? Why do we have these young guys that we're training up? Because we we believe that one day God's gonna use them in a new church site. God has a vision and a plan for all of us, amen? He's a vision and a plan for your life. Just keep going, be faithful. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. God has a work plan for you. Work is not a necessary evil. All work is meaningful and significant when you bring God into it. Our God-wired DNA will come out in any job that we do and our ultimate fulfillment in work comes in eternity. Amen. It's not for naught that you're serving. It's not for naught that you're working hard. It's not for naught that you're sacrificing. We say this all the time, even in building our church. Church, you're not just building a church here, you're building it into eternity. Whatever you do for the Lord here, whatever you serve, whatever you give, whatever you sacrifice, it will live on forever and forever, in eternity, for eternity. Amen? Buildings get torn down here. Things happen here all the time, moth and rust and thief destroy. But what we do for God lives on far beyond us. Let's pray. Father, capture everybody's heart here. They were created to work. They're created to serve. They're created to display your glory. God is mechanics as nurses, as doctors, God, as lawyers, as business people, Lord, as housewives, as community volunteers, God, you've created us and we're fearfully and wonderfully and awesome made, Lord God. Bless this series as we go into God at work and encourage the workers in this house that what they're doing is not in vain, but has incredible purpose. Live on far beyond them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know what? If you're here today and you need prayer, our prayer team is gonna be up front. And just come and say, you know what? I've really felt like I I hate work. Maybe you need an attitude adjustment. Amen. Or maybe you need you know you think, well, what good is this? My work is so hard. Yeah, it's gonna be hard, and, and we're gonna talk about that how to overcome some of that stuff. This is going to be a great series, church. Don't miss it. Amen? So be involved. The prayer team's going to come. Go in the grace and the peace of God. If you're here today and you need prayer, come forward. These guys would love to pray together with you. God bless you, church. Amen? Amen? Go in the grace of God. Let's give the Lord a hand clap today. Amen?